Welcome to today's podcast through the Scottish Farm Advisory Service. My name is Kirsten Williams and I work with SAC Consulting and I'm based in the northeast of Scotland. In this podcast, we're going to hear from Andrew Prentice, who is or has been a new entrant farmer. The family have been on a real journey, a really nice journey, where distance and location hasn't stopped them from following their heart to farm a bigger unit. I would really like to welcome our guest for today, who is Andrew Prentice. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Kirsty. So when I first met you, you were farming at Stonehaven and you had a fencing business. What has happened since then? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah, quite a lot's happened. So that would have been around 2012 we probably met. Um, yeah, that was a 91-acre unit in Aberdeenshire we had. And as you said, I did fencing, contracting to, to bring an income. I think around that time we had uh, 200 blackfish yows, and that was about it. Yeah, I was quite keen to do less contract and then expand our herd, our flock, sorry. Yeah, we'd been trying various tenancies, um, I reckon around 10, 10 or more maybe. I'd been shortlisted for three out of the 10, so that'll give you a rough guide how lucky you are to get to the next stage. Yeah, finally we got accepted for this one here on Isle of Iona. It was, yeah, so we had the interview stages um, and then, yeah, we got the phone call to say to say we had been successful. So that was that was October 2013 we moved here. Um, I'll try and keep it brief, but here we have 240 acre of, of ground around the farm. We have two shares on the common grazing, so that amounts to about 100 acre. And kind of recently, maybe two, three years, I would say, we've took on another wee place on Mall, just a rough, rough grazing, really. Um, and I just have it on a five-year lease. So that's the kind of ground aspect. And just now we're at, I haven't increased the yows a heap. We're at 250 just now. Uh, but I have, however, got a herd of Highland cattle now. We've got 10 of them. Yeah, that's quite an increase. And obviously, I don't have to to go out fencing contracting because we're um <clears throat> we're a bit more stable with with the farm numbers here. And obviously going from Stonehaven to a well kind of populated area and moving to the Isle of Iona is quite a thing to do. Like did you ever think twice about uh, what's happening or or was it just I want to farm and I, I've got an opportunity for a bigger farm here like how how did you go about mentally kind of moving from one extreme to the other yeah that's right and I would say all of what you just mentioned there crossed my mind but I guess the ultimate was the drive that I wanted to be a bigger you know bigger scale farming so that kind of overruled everything but it wasn't yeah it wasn't just straightforward I mean our uh, children at that point, my son was just uh, three months into high school, so he, you know, he just, just gone into it, and um, we were asking him to give that up and move, and yeah, it was a big thought for him. But in the end, they, they were all, we were all very keen to to try something else. I mean, you know yourself, Aberdeenshire is a nice, nice area, but it's very competitive. You know, there's a lot of big, big places there you're up against. So you know, the rents reflected in that. It's quite expensive. It's different on this side. There's a lot, I don't know, I guess people are quite happy what they have out here. So there's not the competition against you. And once you're in, it's quite nice. You don't have to be uh, just thinking that people are wanting to take over the place. You're quite quite happy here and, that, and they're happy that you're doing well for the area. So 
yeah, there was a lot to think about, but ultimately the passion to, to farm on a bigger scale kind of took control. And for the kids, like it's a big change as well, I suppose, going from a big school to going to quite a small school as well. Did, did they cope with that change easy enough? They, they've obviously adapted well to island life now. Yeah, that's right. So the high school's in Oban, so our son, uh, not only did I drag him out his first three months at a school he's already been at, we um, he has to hostel, so he leaves, or he did leave, sorry, he's left school now, um, but he did leave on a Monday morning at six o'clock, uh, and then he stayed in Oban at the hostel there till Friday, and he came back home on Friday night at six o'clock, so wow. that was a change for him. The Our daughter, um, the wee primary school here, at that point was really quite um, low for school numbers. They're quite high now, they're 20-odd pupils, but you know, it's a big change. Kelsey would have been in a class of, I don't know, 60 to go into a class. Well, she was the only one of her age group, although they, you know, they, they mesh with classes up and below, but <clears throat> she was the one, only one in her class. So she got, I guess it's been good for her because she's had more more time with the teachers and stuff, but she's now at high school uh, in year two. So yeah, she's moved on as well. Fantastic. It's, it is such a change, but it's so nice that as a family you've got that passion to go on and, and do and I guess like you've you've all adapted to island life like how different is it living out in Iona compared to Stonehaven? Yeah it is a massive difference I mean <clears throat> just from a personal level we have a shop here there's two hotels uh, most of Iona seasonal stuff so we're open from um, March to October November so you've got the winter of no hotels nowhere to eat out you've got the wee shop Tesco do deliver here through a, a refrigerated company in Oban. So we get Tesco click and collect like anywhere else. But yeah, so you can't just go out for your tea. You can't just nip to the shop. And I guess from a farm point of view, it makes you think of uh, just everything like maintenance. If you're going to repair something, you have to pre-advance, kind of think about where, what you're going to do, what you need for the job. Fencing's the same. Uh, livestock, it's not too bad. I mean, you're, you're obviously two ferries and two hours from Oban. Um, so you, you can do that there and back in a day. Same with Damali, you can get to Damali there and back in a day. But for some of our stuff, if we're going to pedigree sales and stuff like Lanark or, you know, all these kind of bigger march, it, it turns into a two or three day event. So there is a little bit more cost. And I would say that's maybe the only downside of here. We have sacrificed a lot of kind of social stuff within our breeds. You know, we can't go to every... Uh, top night or every show and every sale we go to the ones we we kind of target at the moment but that yeah that's that's one drawback I can't be as active within the breeds that I I would like but you know it has other very different advantages it's quiet out here we are busy with tourists in the season but you know in the winter it's really nice it's quiet it's um I would say it was isolated but that's not a bad thing when you're when you're into your livestock and stuff it's quite nice just to be be peaceful and get no interruptions but yeah <laughs> ups and downs on both sides good and you said at the start there that you'd applied for 10 tenancies shortlisted for three yeah was it the same like did you just say distance is not a problem and the 10 that you applied for or what kind of locality were they yeah i would say yeah there were there was some in north of england there was one in carlisle there was um you know glenlivet which was relatively close uh, in the scheme of what we've been looking at there was Iona I think there was one up in uh, Bonner Bridge direction I can't remember them all but they, you know it was certainly where we were you know just south of Aberdeen I would have said it could have been two three hundred miles <laughs> any direction I was looking at I probably wouldn't have gone 
you know, the type of farm we were looking for, we're looking for a hill type farm. So I wouldn't have went, you know, right down deep South England into big, you know, big kind of stuff like that. It was more hill ground we were looking for, but I guess I wasn't really that fussed where we, where we were looking at. And anyone that's tried a tenancy will know there's not that many come up uh, in the first place. So probably the 10 I'd applied for, probably everyone else was doing the same. There's very, there's just not a lot come up to apply for in the first place. And to apply for 10, to be shortlisted for three, you know, there's obviously seven that you've you've done a lot of work for. You've done a business plan, you've done cash flows. I can't imagine the amount of disappointment you went through having seven of them. And then to get shortlisted for three, it builds up that even more, doesn't it? You, you've got that hope that, right, I've got past that. Now I'm getting an interview. How was it to get, you must have had two knockbacks after an interview that you hadn't got. How did you like build yourselves back up to try again? Yeah, I don't know, because to be fair, I, before we, the, the one on Iona was our third um, one to be successful for interview stage. I had two prior, you know, getting into interviews. Yeah, I remember I was disappointed. And by the second uh, kind of one, when we got interviewed and we got the phone call, I mean, I was more disappointed with the second one because he said we were next in line. You were basically cut it through to second place. Yeah, I mean, I did phone the guy and, you know, said, what, let us down and, you know, just to get a feel if we'd done anything wrong. And I think when I look back, we'd, we didn't really do anything wrong. I think a few of our things was maybe, well, one of them the guy definitely said was he wasn't sure how we would cope with moving the family. You know, he was kind of worried that if I uprooted them, it would, it would you know, make me want to move back. So he was... I don't suppose I didn't portray how keen we were. I, I probably couldn't have done any more. So that, that one was pretty frustrating. The the other one, I think we were just well out of it. I think that was the one up in, in uh, Glenlivet. I think we just didn't have the cash flow and stuff behind us. So you kind of deal with that. If you're a new entrant, you're going to have problems, what's the word, kind of competing against people that are maybe more established or, you know, just more financed behind them. That was one of the stumbling blocks. So, And then... The one here, I you know, I was very close to almost giving up um, before we applied for the owner one. I was at that point, I was like, "Is it worth continuing?" I, you know, this is frustrating. But then I guess I just kind of dug dug in and paid off eventually. But you don't know that at the time. But yeah, you just you just have to. If that's what you want to do, you're gonna have to deal with a few knockbacks and just yeah, just try and do a better job next time. Or let's say you can't always do a better job. It's maybe out of your control. But if you do the best you can do and you sit and you work out the figures on how you're going to make it work, then you've, you've done what you can. So that would be a bit of advice, I say. It certainly shows that determination pays off because it's it's no mean feat to apply for one tenancy, never mind 10 tenancies. You know, there's, there's a lot of work in that business plan and cash flows. And then to to get knocked back and do it again, it's it's quite an emotional journey, isn't it? You know, you've got all the hope that, yes, this is it. I'm going to move into this one. And then the knock back, then to go again, it does take a, a fair amount of determination. So, so hats off to you. So now, right. now you're obviously at Iona. How secure is your tenancy there? So how, how many years? You've been there since 2013. Is it a 10-year tenancy, a 15-year tenancy? What What's a 10-year? As far as I know at the moment, we when we first came in, it was a SLDT, so it was five years. As far as I'm aware, through the trust guys, that it automatically rolls on to an MLDT. So as far as I'm aware, we are now into a two-year of an MLDT, which I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's 10 to 15 years, I think. So it's your kind of medium, your medium-range tenancy. It's not as good as a, a long-term one, obviously, but it's 
yeah, it's reasonably settled. F- 10, 15 years, if you've already had five, isn't um, isn't a bad length of time to, to implement your plans, hopefully. And that's 240 acres plus an additional 100 acres of common grazing and a bit of rough grazing over in Mull. And so it's all it's all kind of rougher type of grazing. So I take it your 250 ewes, that's a kind of hardy hill type of ewe. Yeah, that's right. So out of our 240 acre here, we have 70 or 80. You would call it arable, although it's on an island in the middle of nowhere, it, it would have at some point grown uh, corn and you know crops for the village. So, you know, it is plowable land. It would grow stuff. We do intend to try and do some things, ploughing and stuff. It's just obviously we're kind of, um, we're just in a cycle just now of trying to concentrate on our breeding stock. But obviously that goes along with uh, the, the stuff that eat needs to be right as well when you move up up to next level. So yeah, it's um, it's mostly rough. The common grazing is just rough heather. Um, there is lots of green bits. The hill, the, the rougher grazing remainder of our ground around the farm is class is category three but it's actually category two ground in my eyes it's it's not really heather hill it's just a green grazing hill so yeah it's it's suited to the type of sheep we have we're obviously trying to and still am trying to get into the pedigree side of blackface sheep which is very difficult because there's lots of people at it with big wallets and also been at it for many many years so yeah we're fairly pushing a hard breed to crack but we sell a lot of, well, we sell all of our weather lambs locally through the abattoir. So that gives us a kind of high price and a good story and sustainable, I guess, for the meat side of it. So, yeah, ultimately it is a hardy, low input breed. That's what we're trying to do. But we're also trying to get into the pedigree thing, which has its own problems. <laughs> and that's it for, for being so kind of so remote. Do you participate in like agricultural shows? Do you travel? I know you've done the Highland show. How how much time does that all take? Yeah, so the the Highland Show, even in the northeast, would be almost an a week event. We would, when we're over there, we used to leave late Wednesday afternoon, and you'd come home uh, late Sunday night. Uh, on Iona, we'd try and leave probably like Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon. So we've, I don't know, it's probably about six hours travel, depending if you hit the ferries correct. If you land having to wait in the queue, it obviously delays you. But yeah, you quite a long journey, um, especially pulling a, a beast in the trailer and stuff. So yeah, the Highland Show is a week event now rather than five days. But I enjoy that. It's a holiday and I'm sure everyone will be the same this year. We've completely missed it because it's, it's just a great thing to go and chat about how your lambing went or calving went, you know, and, and kind of get the stress off your head that other people have had the same experiences. So it's a bit a bit sad this year, but I'm sure everyone's the same. And local shows, there's two on Mull. So for anyone that's not sure, we're basically five minutes. Iona is a five-minute ferry journey uh, to Mull. Um, and then you've got two shows at Mull. One down this end at Benesson, the Ross of Mull, and the uh, other one's up in Salin, which is up not too far from Tobermory. The other show I ventured to was Lauren Show, so that's just, I guess it's northwest of Oban by about 10, 10 miles. It's not far, so it's reasonably local, and that's about all I've attempted at the moment. I mean, we did have plans this year to try and get out a bit more. Obviously, the virus has ruined the summer, but yeah, I, I think next year, hopefully, when things come out, we'll maybe, you know, there's Damali, there's mid you know, there's a lot of, on, on this side of the country, there's a lot of shows that are for our type of um, breeds, so there's they're quite important ones to attend if you're wanting to to be seen. But yeah, the Highland shows the, the pinnacle, 
do you take the cattle as well, or is it just the just the black faced sheep? Um, the local ones, the two in Mall, we take cattle. Uh, the Highland Show, we take cattle. My daughter Kelsey's mad keen on our Highland cows, and we've done yeah, just just done one year there. Again, she had her really well put through the winter. The heifer she was showing, and we thought it might have been okay this year, so she'll um, knuckle down and get it ready for next year. But yeah, that's a, a big journey taking the cow to the to the Highland Show. It's just it's not uncomfortable for it it's just an awful long time for everyone so <laughs> and you've obviously going to the highland show for a week it's fantastic for everybody wherever you live it is great to see everybody again and have a social see everybody's livestock but for you guys to get to civilization i suppose for a week it must be really really nice and a big miss this year like we're obviously we're kind of pandemic just kind of coming out of lockdown you're, you're remote, so you're, you're really lucky in that you've not had a population of people, but you guys are kind of diversifying on the farm as well, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. We've um, we've a small holiday pod, which we lent out, out for the summer. So um, like last year, it probably, I think it took in about £9,000 for the year. So that's probably from mid-March through to October. So that, you know, in the size of our farm, that's probably maybe not quite but you know it's probably a quarter of our income so it fairly helps or it did help <laughs> and uh yeah i mean obviously we're selling lamb locally the hotel here buys quite a lot so i haven't had that trade either this year so i mean roughly i reckon I'm about half down on you know what i would be bringing in since march to now um we are open now and so is the hotel so we are getting glimmers of of hope but i i yeah i reckon i'll probably be half of the income um from these two enterprises obviously the breeding stuff we don't know i don't know if the sales will go ahead or how that's going to work so you know we don't have an exact figure but yeah i'd be anticipating maybe about half of our income lost uh, due to the virus but on the other hand, because we're not able to to go to these things and travel, I've probably saved a little bit on accommodation and and fuel and ferries and stuff. But yeah, it'll still be a hit overall, I would say, this year. Yeah, and ho- hopefully with, with people kind of looking more towards the staycation, staying within the UK, staying within Scotland, hopefully your kind of usual summer period, hopefully that will be extended a bit and you'll get a bit more um, income towards the, the end of summer and into the October holidays as well. Yeah, I would anticipate, I mean, I'm not sure, but I would like to think October and even into November, although the island normally kind of shuts down uh, end of October, I'm pretty sure there's appetite for people uh, to come in November. And November can be really nice um, and really pleasant. It's just more the, I guess if there's nowhere to eat or that, it puts people off travelling. And I guess sometimes the weather for the ferries can be a bit disruptive. So, you know, but I still think they're, Though people will try and travel in November as well this year, just to just to get out of the town. I mean, I'm very sympathetic. I've been posting pictures at lambing time and things um, during lockdown, and I felt a wee bit guilty that people were maybe unable to get out. But overwhelming majority of people that read our posts were were thankful that I just kept them updated that we were still doing things and, and keeping our stock in order. So overall, I think most people were were on our side. Yeah, and, and you do quite a lot on, on social media, uh, like so Facebook, you've got a farm Facebook page, you put quite a lot of photos up. Do you think that helps with the diversification, with telling the story of farming, to bring people to have a look at the farm? Like, How, how do you feel that social media kind of helps your business? 
Yeah, it it does. I remember when we when we applied for Iona, I wasn't I knew it was on the west coast. I didn't know exactly about it. And when you put it into social media, it was a lot of stuff about the Abbey and stuff, which is important. But the farming stuff out here is pretty. I mean, the ground's really productive. Iona, a lot of guys are putting lambs away already and getting you know up in the top end of the prices. So it's very productive. So I just felt I like would like to tell the kind of agricultural side of Iona and even the West Coast, I guess, because it's always viewed as a tourist place, you know, nice walks and stuff. But there's a lot of very good farms on the West. Um, so, yeah, I, I use it a lot. I wouldn't say it turns into bookings. I mean, you, you get the odd person that's maybe seen a post on Facebook or whatever. But I guess more importantly, I just want to show the good side of farming. I mean, everyone knows the kind of grief farming's getting just now, you know, pollution, uh, climate change, intense farming practices, all these kind of things. So we have a job to try and um, to show people that we're not wrecking things, we're improving them, we're looking after them and uh, we're good to our livestock. And yeah, I, I just think we, we definitely have um, a job to do on that side too. I think we need to do it carefully, I would say. Um, like you get a wee phone on your phone, you think that's all right, but I've come to the point now, I'll come into the house, look through my phone and you know there'll be a wee something that I don't like that maybe someone could manipulate. So <laughs> I'm very careful at what I post. I try not to post anything you know too gruesome you know you get attacks crows you know i try not to post things like that the negative things i know you probably should show people everything but i prefer not to and thinking kind of back to your journey and you've gone from a smaller kind of 90 acre unit to 240 acre unit you're diversifying you've moved to family like you've you've done a massive amount in a small number of years What's next? Like, where do you see your business in the next ten years? Yeah, that's a good question. And you know, and also when I started out, I wouldn't have anticipated doing um, accommodation or selling land locally. You know, when you were young, I, I mean, I worked for a few big tractor, you know, contracting things, and I was all into tractors and stuff. And yeah, things have changed. I'm not really bored about tractor work anymore. I really like stock. I like the, I just like the challenge of trying to breed. Especially on a budget, you know, I feel like if you haven't spent a huge amount on a on a top or whatever, and you can produce a show winner, it's quite it's quite nice. It feels like a good achievement. So I try and keep that keep that going. But I guess next, I would like to. We're obviously looking at trying to buy EID recording stuff. I want to do a kind of performance recording. I mean, I don't want to go all out looking at you know the best EBVs. I want to pick you know good ones, but I'm more interested in trying to trace, you know, yows that are breeding good stock or breeding, you know, twins or, you know, I want to try and make our flock more productive. In the early days, I thought about, oh, yeah, I want a thousand head of yows and stuff. And now I've kind of thinking, no, I'd rather have maybe three, 350, but more productive. I mean, if I could get, if I could trace them back and get the EID records and stuff and eventually breed twin bearing yows, I could, you know, you could potentially get 180, 200% out of these girls. So... Yeah, I would like less, just more productive, better quality. You know, there's just a whole way of making things better without going, you know, big in the numbers game, I think. is That's where I'm wanting to head at the moment. So you're you're really trying to improve the flock using your, your EID, using kind of data to increase your, your maternal traits, try and get a, a more milky out, one that's going to leave more lambs, something that's got a higher survivability for its lambs that's, that's suited to the Isle of Iona as well. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was talking to a 
I can't remember the company. It's a guy in Wales is making these uh, weigh crates and um, using all this data and stuff. And it was interesting. He was just like, obviously, your EBVs, you weigh your lambs at birth and weigh them at eight weeks and so on, which is fine because it shows you which ones are growing. But there's a bigger picture there that, you know, if you've got ones that aren't weighing up, maybe there's a worm burden in the lamb or maybe the mother's not milking well. So, you know, it gives you a whole heap of information that you can you can figure out. And I guess, you know, over a couple of years, if you've got a yow or a, a line of yows that's, you know, particularly breeding poor or great, you can you can do something about it. You know, you can you can get rid of the one that isn't working and you can stick with the ones that are. So in that breed, so I think you need to stick with your breed, stick with the way you want it and go from there and use a wee bit of technology. I'm not a huge technological person, but I think I think the EID and these type of things, I can see how that would work. Data is very powerful and it, it really lets the the speed of your genetic gain within the flock, you know, it, it really speeds that up so that you're, what you might have achieved since you went there in 2013, you know, you know where you want to go and slowly kind of culling you out as, as need. Whereas if you, you've got the data, you can speed that up, you know, you could do it in two, three years yeah. just with having actual figures in front of you. So it is a hugely, hugely powerful tool. Yeah. Finally, I was just wondering what would be your biggest bit of advice for another new entrant entering the industry? Yeah, biggest. Oh, there's probably lots of advice. Um, if that's what you want to do, if you want to take on a tenancy, you, yeah, I've said this before, NSA meetings, you, you know, you might have to look out with your area. If you're, if you're fighting with established farmers, you're going to, you're going to need an awful lot of capital behind you or, you know, you're going to need something special to, to separate you. I mean, most landlords will tell you they won't go to the highest bid and stuff. And I, c- I can believe that's true in most aspects. But if they've got a security of a, of a guy that has backing or whatever, they're, you know, they're not liable to take a risk on, on a new guy. So, yeah, I would say that that's probably the biggest piece. You might have to look elsewhere. Go to an area that you, the type of stock your breeding is going to work. I mean, I do miss the Thainston market uh, from being out here because it's a, it, you know, it's a world-class market and well set up. But that would be the one of the only things I miss in that corner. I don't miss the competition. So yeah, you will or may have to look elsewhere. And I guess just do your figures. Um, once you've done one or two tenancies, I think the first couple I got the SAC to to do for me, and it cost a bit of money. But you know, all the the profit and loss stuff was done. You know, all the year budget plans and stuff. You know, once you've done one or two, you can use those spreadsheets and this data yourself and fill it out with your own, you know, your own figures. And and that's good anyway, because it lets you know, or, you know, if you start working out with the way you're wanting to do it, it's not going to add up, then it's not going to work. So you can, you can change things. It lets you see what you need to do to make it work. So yeah, that's probably millions of bits of advice there, but <laughs> that'd be the two, the two main ones I would say figures and you just might have to spread yourself out a bit further. So going, going elsewhere, there's nothing to be scared of. You've just heard about Andrew and his family's experience of moving from very kind of populated area to very remote and, and how well they're getting on. And doing your figures, I think that's a, a great bit of advice. And initially get somebody to help you to make sure you've you've got everything that you need, that you've got the cash flow, that you've got the profit and loss, that you've, you've got every element in there. But I think it's understanding your figures as well, like get somebody to do it, but but understand it. So when you come to interview, if you get asked something about those figures, that you actually know how the figures are made up is really important. 
So thank you very much, Andrew. I wish you, Lorna, John and Kelsey all the luck for the future and moving your business forward. I really look forward to see wh where you are in 10 years and what the business looks like then, because I imagine listening to your determination and passion for agriculture, it's, it's only going to go forward. So thank you very much for speaking to us today. Thank you. No problem at all. Hopefully I've helped some people out as well. If, uh, if they need any information, give us a shout. We can try and help you out if you need. Super. Thank you.